or let some of those get in the hands of somebody that needs to read it. Maybe a worker at one of those places, maybe somebody is, uh, you know, cleaning and getting ready to, to toss it out and they might see it. Or maybe somebody pushing a buggy and sees it. Uh, different places like that. I snuck one in a pocket jacket at Belk's of a suit jacket, so uh, you, you never know. So you got, you got to think sometimes outside the box. But, uh, but I do pray about that. I pray that God will use those tracks in that way. Um, and we do need to be concerned about the lost. If you see the news today, there's two hurricanes. First time in history, recorded history, two hurricanes in the Gulf that are basically aimed almost at the same exact spot. Um, I don't know a lot of the specifics about the size and all of that. I see it's kind of over towards Houston, I think, is some of the projected area. Uh, and, uh, and when we lived in Louisiana, we weren't too far from that area. Uh, and so uh, my prayers are with those in the path of those storms. But to see two uh, hurricanes, it doesn't matter what size they are, to have two coming at almost the same path in the same area. Uh, once again, making history. Just a couple weeks ago, we had an earthquake around here that made history. So it seemed like every week there's something going on in the world around us that's reminding us that we are living in the last days, reminding us that the creation itself is uh, groaning and crying out and travail to be delivered, uh, like Romans 8 tells us. And so we're going to look tonight in chapter 16 and uh, get right to our study and get back into it Wednesday night, chapter 17, which is a very important chapter. Uh, and we had a great meeting, by the way, with uh, planning some events coming up for the church. And I'm excited about some things that we have planned. And uh, just to get back to whatever we want to call normal um, is exciting to me. Seems like we've all, and it's not just us, it's been all churches have kind of had to put things on hold and on pause for a while. So I'm excited about some things that are upcoming, uh, whether it's uh, our gospel sing next Sunday night, which, by the way, we won't have our Revelation Bible study. We're having a gospel sing uh, and so spread the word for that with the Daughters of Calvary that will be here with us. And so we won't have our Bible study next Sunday night, but it will be even better. We'll have uh, some great music in the Lord. I'm looking forward to that. And then we'll get back into our study after that. As soon as we conclude Revelation, we're going to go back to having our Sunday night service just like a Sunday morning service. So we'll have more singing. We'll have more special music. Preaching than anything, kind of like on Sunday morning. And sometimes we may kind of pause and stop and get back into a Bible study like we've been doing with Revelation. But, uh, but I'm looking forward to that too. We're in chapter 16 tonight, so we're getting close to the end. Uh, let's go ahead and look in verse number 1. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll look in verse number 1. And I'll read down through these vials that are getting ready to be poured out in chapter 16. Oh Lord, I thank you tonight for the blessing of being in thine house this, uh, this evening. Lord, for the great service this morning, and I know, Lord, that you were in our, our midst and you poured out your spirit in a special and a unique and in a powerful way. Lord, we don't ever want to take that for granted. Uh, I talked to someone today that told me that they were in a service today, that the service was so spiritless and lifeless, and the message and the music and every part of it was just spiritless and dead. And Lord, it blesses my heart to be in a service where that's not said about us. We're thankful, Lord, that we can praise you and exalt you and glorify you in all that we say and do. Thank you, Lord, for those that are lifting up the lost on their hearts. And I pray that we won't have just looked at those uh, this morning alone, but may that burden be upon our heart tonight. And consistently as well as we continue to remember our lost family and loved ones and friends and, and co-workers and others that are upon our minds. Lord, as always, we ask for a blessing upon the study and the reading of thy word. May you uh, enlighten us and, and edify, Lord, through your, the study of thy word. And I pray, Father, that you would encourage us and bless us for studying it. As we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Verse number one, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. What follows in verse two is the first vial. And the first went, so that would be the first angel, and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon men, which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Verse 3, And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou 
art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shalt be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, and they are worthy. And I heard another angel, or another out of the altar, say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his bridegroom, uh, his bridegroom, his kingdom, I have to see my own highlighted words here. And his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. We're going to stop there. Verse 12. Because verse 13, 14, 15, and 16 are often referred to as parenthetical verses. Chapters in Revelation. Where here we've got kind of an interval. A parenthetical uh, a set of verses in between these vials. You have the first uh, uh, six vials that are mentioned. Then you have this statement in verse 13 through 16 about this satanic trinity and then we find the seventh vial opening back up in uh in verse 17 through verse 21 the last of this chapter this chapter as we look at these vials are following daniel's 70th week the seven years of tribulation this again would be the last half of the tribulation this is the last of the seven years it's the worst of it it's the End of the three and a half years of the great tribulation, immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming, as we've said before, is not to be confused with the rapture. The rapture can happen tonight. Uh, it could happen at any moment. But the second coming has a set date. It has a set moment. It's called the day of the Lord. And these events are leading up to that moment when Jesus comes back visibly for the whole world to see. And they'll see him in all of his glory his power, his majesty, uh, and his honor and splendor as he returns in, uh, as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he sits upon the rightful throne of David. But verse number one tells us of a great vial, a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So these final vials, these great vials of wrath are poured out at the tribulation during this time. For rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, ultimately, is the reason behind it. Uh, it's also dealing with Israel and dealing with the nations around Israel and their, nation, and their relationship with Israel. But ultimately, it's about the world and the relationship to the Lord. As we've said before, they're not ignorant. They know who's doing all of these things. That's why that they blaspheme, verse number 9, the name of God which had power over those, these plagues. They're not ignorant. They know what's going on. They see what's going on. They understand these are not alien invaders. This is not natural selection, selecting the world for these things to happen. This isn't something that's gone awry with the climate issues. I saw that, whatever her name is, Cortez, saying something about when she saw these two hurricanes. She said, again, this is more evidence that we need to do more, uh, uh, to, to, to spend more money about greenhouse issues and things like that. Folks. That, that stuff's been around long before man. These are the same people that believe that dinosaurs were killed off before man without man's involvement. So who are you going to blame for that? Uh, the hur hurricanes have nothing to do with anything other than God knows what's going to happen. And there's always going to be storms. In fact, the worst events with Mother Nature is yet to come. And it's not Mother Nature, it's Father God. But the world hasn't seen anything yet compared to the worst earthquakes the worst natural disasters, the worst that's ever uh, happened to the seas, to the land, to the atmosphere, all these things, including what we're reading about here with, with the sun and all and scorching men with heat. It's going to get worse before the Lord is going to come and make things all new and better than ever before. So we see in verse number one, the preparation, this great voice, the seven angels are sent out. 
We've talked about these other sevens, the seven judgments, the seven seals, all these things that are there. Now we're into these vials. Verse 2 begins the second half of Daniel's 70th week because there is no beast or image until the 42 months, which is three and a half years, are mentioned at the end of the tribulation. That's back in chapter 13, verse number 5. And he says uh, in, in verse number 2, he talks about there fell a noisome and grievous sore. That word noisome, uh, we think of just a loud noise, but actually it means malignant. It means grievous. It means deep. It, it means something that is painful or something that is hard. God puts a painful mark, a grievous mark, a deep uh, mark upon those that took the mark of the beast. They took the mark, so God's going to mark them for taking the mark. And so that first vial is poured out upon those. The Bible makes that very clear. It's a grievous sore upon those that worshipped the beast and took the mark in verse 2. In verse number 3, the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as blood, the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. We remember that from the previous chapter in Revelation, that the waters are going to be affected. This goes back to Revelation chapter 11. It goes back to the two witnesses and the power that God gives them over these elements, over the water, and turning it to blood. And it also reminds us of who did that in the Old Testament, which was Moses. Moses is the one that turned the water into blood. So we see that's going to happen once again, that the sea is going to become as blood, the blood of a dead man. It's hard for us to fathom that, by the way. It's hard for us to imagine. But it's going to be something that is widespread. Of course, it's primarily the Mediterranean, but all these bodies of water are connected more or less in some way. And it's going to affect both the salt water and the fresh water. It's all going to be eventually uh, 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 connected and affected. Because look in verse 4. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters. And they became blood. That means you won't be able to go to the water fountain without it being blood. That means if you've got a well. Like we're on a well system here. And that well is going to be separated. That's the fountains of water. It's going to still come up as blood. Uh, that, that means that there's going to be, uh, I mean, we can live with a lot of things, without a lot of things, but you can't live without water. You can go a lot longer without food than you can go without water, but you've got to have water. What, what are we made of? Something like 75% of water. We've got to have fresh water and the water is going to be gone. Kind of reminded me a little bit of when that COVID outbreak first started and I watched not only was toilet paper off the shelves, but you notice how quickly the bottled water went off the shelves. And anytime there's a major event like that, it, you can't even get bottled water uh, in, in gallon jugs or anything else. When we went through the flood up in North Dakota, I remember that's one of the first things that, that was gone. You couldn't find fresh, you know, spring water or whatever in, a, in, a, in bottles. It was gone. You couldn't get to it. Well, it's a, it's a luxury that we, you know, and a necessity, I should say, that we take for granted. When's the last time you thank God for fresh drinking water? But if you lose it, uh, you certainly would. Well, they're not going to be able to, to get water. The water in the sea has already been polluted. The seas turned to blood in verse number three. There's a great sore upon all humans that took the mark in verse number two. In verse number four, the clean water now, the rivers, the fountains of waters are going to become blood, which is also going to wind up killing off all of the animals, the fish and all that are connected with the waters and, and the streams and the rivers. Verse 5, And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. All right, keep in mind that if you take God's word literally, and I certainly do, you read that there is an angel, there's angels that are connected with the four winds. Now, we just see the wind out there, or we don't even see the wind. We see the evidence of the wind blowing. But if the Bible's true, and I believe it is, there are angels that have a certain task. And one of the tasks is to help with the control of the wind. So all the circuits, all that the wind does, and the change of seasons and all, there's, there are spiritual forces that we can't see in the physical realm that are going on in that spiritual realm that affects us in the physical realm. Uh, I believe that tonight. I preached about the, the uh 
going on, and that's certainly reality. But there's not just the warfare, there's also the things that are... Chapter 11, the Bible says that the invisible things of God are clearly seen by faith. By faith, the Bible says uh, uh, that it's impossible to please God. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were made by things, uh, the worlds that are were made by things which we can't see, that's invisible. But yet the Bible says that the invisible things are going to be eventually clearly seen. We can't see it now, but they're all going on. Well, you've got now an angel mentioned that is connected with the outcome of the water systems of the world. Wouldn't it be something to get to heaven and find out that there is more going on in controlling this world than what we ever imagined? We take everything for granted. And yet God has a say about every single thing that goes on in this planet. He knows it all, including the waters and what effects the waters have on life on planet Earth. In verse number five and six, this blood, we'll, we'll see in chapter 17, there's a woman that's going to drink a cup that has blood in it. She's a woman riding upon a beach and she's pictured drinking the blood of the saints of God. And so she connected with the martyrdom of the saints of God. It's interesting that with all the Levitical law, if you go back and you study the Levitical law, you find that, that uh, the law concerning blood and forbidding to eat or drink blood is not something just under the law. It's something that took place before the law. It's something that takes place uh, after the law, during the law and after the law. Uh, for example, we won't turn there tonight, and there's many of these references, but you find over in Genesis chapter number 9 that blood is forbidden. God says you're not to drink it, you're not to eat it. This is before the law. We find in Leviticus 17, the giving of the law. Leviticus 17, God says in that place as well, He says you're not to eat anything with blood. You're not to drink anything with blood. Over in the book of Acts, chapter 15, you read again that when they met together and they came to a conclusion on what was to be done or not done as, uh, uh, as believers, you, you learn that they're not to eat anything connected with blood. You know, I see some of these cooking shows and they'll go over to England, for example, and they, they'll have like blood sausage and stuff like that. And they'll sit there and eat it. Or I've seen down in Ethiopia, a very grotesque, uh, disgusting thing where they'll, they'll take a live cow and they'll pierce one of its, its veins or an artery and they'll drink blood straight out of it. And uh, they'll say, you know, in order to get in this tribe, you got to do this ritual or something. That's where I would have to say, no, I draw the line. Um, you say we're under grace. Yes, they were under grace too in Acts chapter 15. And they were still told, don't eat anything in blood. Don't drink blood. There's something about that blood. God says before the law, under the law, and after the law, you're not to eat or drink anything connected with blood. Just a side note, vampirism is getting popular today. Have you seen that? Uh, a lot of young people, it's not just young people, but they are toying around with this. And I've seen news articles where they are uh, they're trying to, to make themselves uh, uh, into vampires. And we all laugh at that and say, well, vampires aren't real. But yep, but they're, they're letting blood. They said it's a ritual. Friends, if they really want to be close to one another, they'll drink each other's blood. Uh, that's going on in America tonight. Uh, I saw something about a week or two ago that said that there's a lot of movie stars. There's rumors about them uh, uh, partaking uh, in their body, like blood transfusion, the thing where they're taking the blood of young people and they're going to give them youth. And so they'll somehow intravenously take that blood into their body and uh, uh, the blood of younger people thinking that somehow it's going to make them younger. And so be careful when you see a society that's toying around and playing with something that God forbid, uh, for, forbids and says, no, we're in trouble. And we're seeing that going on in the world that we're in. So we're going to see some more of that in chapter number 17. But God said that it's forbidden. In verse number 7, and I heard another angel out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. 
And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Go back to the book of Isaiah, a great book in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 30. Just filled with prophecies about the last days in Isaiah chapter 30, in verse number 26. Isaiah knew what John knows in Revelation 16, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26, speaking of days moreover the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun now let's think about this so the moon out there on a moonlit night the moon shall be as the light of the sun can you imagine is as bright and as hot as the sun and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that's revelation 16 that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. That's all prophetic about chapter 16 and what's getting ready to happen. The moon's going to give off heat and light. The sun is going to be seven times hotter than it is now. Now, you know, whatever it is, astronomy and all that, they, they say that the sun is eventually going to die out. Now, they'll say, you know, it, it'll die out in you know 10 million years or something but they say it's eventually going to die out they like to study the solar flares off of it and they'll say that those explosions are what will that, that they'll disrupt a, a lot of uh, uh, technology and and uh, it'll, it can affect satellites and things like that and our earth is made with the magnetic field around it which just you know thank goodness for evolution that we have that tonight right where if you see a picture of the earth and they'll try to, to put graphics of it. It looks like big old, you know, uh, oblong circles coming off of the sides of, of, of the earth. And they believe that that's where the northern lights come from. It's when those solar flares are coming from the sun. And it's bouncing off the magnetic field of the earth. And it just passes through. But what comes upon the, you know, the, the different hemispheres, like you see up in the north, they'll see... Uh, the northern lights and things like that which that's their theory they're smarter than I, I am with a lot of that stuff but I've seen the northern lights in person many nights and the picture of the northern lights to me is what the psalmist talks about with God and it says that God covers himself with light as with a garment and he hangs the heavens like a curtain if you ever see the northern lights it looks like a curtain of light and it's just like a curtain just flowing in the wind it could be that's the Lord walking in the heavens that the psalmist also said he saw he could see the Lord walking upon the sky, upon the heavens. Uh, that could be the hem of his garment, for all we know. And they're saying that it's something connected with the magnetic field. But at any rate, if we didn't have, they say, that magnetic field, they said those solar flares would hit the earth and just cook everything on it. So thank goodness for that evolutionary process that somehow put us right where we need to be and gave us that magnetic field through our core and all of that so that those flares don't affect us in a great way. But... Uh, they, they know some of the truth, but they don't know all the truth. All the truth is this. God's getting ready to do something with the sun like he's never done before since its creation. In Genesis chapter number 1. He's getting ready to do something with the sun. And that eventually, when it's all said and done, the Bible says in heaven, there'll be no need of the sun anyway. Because the Lord will be the light of that city. Amen. And it says no, no longer will we sweat or be hot or any heat affect us. It'll be perfect climate perfect light for all eternity but before that happens the bible says the sun eventually is going to be turned to blood and the bible says eventually the heat from it is going to scorch men with fire seven times hotter you would think with everything up to chapter 16 that man has experienced would lead them up to their knees in an act of confession and repentance and it does the opposite Instead, in verse number 9, And the men were scorched with great heat, and blaspheming the name of God, which had power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. The stubbornness of human nature, the arrogancy and the pride of man, they know God's doing it, and they're still cursing God for doing it. I wish, again, that I could say that the world is going to experience a great revival and everybody's going to get right. But we don't see that in the scriptures. In the scriptures, it says that they're going to turn away from God. They're not going to repent to God. They're going to turn away from him. But imagine that. We're, 
I, again, I read some of these things and I try to put it into my imagination. And I've got a pretty healthy imagination, but I still can't comprehend it. I'm hot in here tonight. Some of y'all are freezing. I'm hot. Can you imagine? We're, we're spoiled today. Thank God for Brother Tony. He can help us with our air conditioner needs. Amen? Uh, can you imagine life without air conditioning? And yet some of y'all grew up without it. Aluna grew up without it. The first, I, I told somebody not long ago, the first, the only, in fact, new, brand new vehicle my dad ever bought was a bright orange with black interior Pinto. Remember the Pintos? Boy, I remember him pulling that up in the driveway and we thought we had something. And I don't believe we had air conditioning. Air conditioning was you had the hand cranked windows and you rolled it down. You stuck your head out the window. That was our air conditioning system down in South Georgia. But uh, uh, imagine you can't escape it when the sun's that hot. Even going indoors isn't going to stop it. There's no place to hide. That's why the Bible says they'll go to the caves and the dens of the rocks and they'll say, fall on us and hide us from the face of the wrath of him that is to come. And there's no escape. They're going to curse God in what they're going to do. The world talks about global warming. Well, they're right. It's going to get warmer. It's going to get a whole lot warmer. But the problem isn't pollution. The problem isn't throwing trash out in the ocean. The problem is man and his sinful nature and his rejection of Jesus Christ, the rejection of the word of God. God's going to heat up the climate and he's going to bring out judgment upon this earth like never before. Now, look in verse number 10. Here's the fifth vial. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. We're going to get to his seat in chapter 17. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. You know, it's a picture of hell. The Bible says, actually, Jesus says of hell, it's a place where they gnash their teeth. You ever been in so much pain you just grit your teeth? I've experienced some of that. I may not have had pain like a lot of people have, but I've passed some kidney stones and felt that way. I had some dental pain and felt that way. Just uh, you, you're just gnashing your teeth. You're grinding your teeth. You're in so much pain. That's going to be the way people are going to feel. They're going to gnaw their tongue for pain. The pain of the sores. The pain of the heat. And all that's happening. They won't be able to run and get fresh water. They won't be able to go get a, a drink at the local fountain. They can't just go to the faucet and get fresh water. It's already corrupted. It stinks. It's turned to blood. And now you've got darkness Darkness. The Bible says men love darkness and light, lest their deeds be reproved. You ever dark? Movie theaters keep it dark. I worry about a place that stays dark all the time. Don't have any windows or light in. I like brightness. This is dark in here for me. I think it ought to be brighter in here if you want my opinion. I like light. Lots of it. But yet man likes the dark. They like that. You ever been in a movie theater when the lights are on? It don't look as nice as when the lights are off, does it? I mean, when you're in there and it's dark, you just find your seat and, and sit back and relax. But if you ever see the light and you find people are thrown up on the floor and people spit their, their food out and there's wrappers and trash and people left their gum right here. and It's not very pleasant when the light comes on. In the dark, it's more comfortable. And that's the nature of man. They want dark. But there is a darkness that we all, I mean, at night we see it. But this is a supernatural darkness. It's a darkness that's not unlike the darkness in Exodus. With one of the plagues that came upon Egypt, the Bible says that there was darkness in the land for three days. And it says a darkness that could be felt. You ever been in darkness so dark you could almost feel it? Now that's dark. When I was a kid, I had to sleep with lights on. I always liked lights on. You know, I had to have a night light or something, a lamp. Now I can't sleep with any. I mean, little crack coming through the the door and, and it keeps me up. I, I, can, I have to have total darkness. But I've been hunting before at night. Legally, by the way. Some of y'all looking at me kind of weird. Talking about like coon hunting at night. And it's so dark out there when you don't have your light on and you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's so dark. Back in his, his exciting days and uh, his days and all that, uh, and uh, he, he had a side job as a professional scuba diver. And he used to go uh, scuba dive and, and dive for uh, on shipwrecks for the police department. So sometimes up around Maine and places like that, he'd get a, a phone call that, you know, a ship 
or a boat had, had uh, sunk and that there's a body that's missing. And so his job was to go out there on the water and him with a couple other guys had to swim at night, often down in the water on the side of the wreck with just a, a light that was hooked up to a car battery up on the deck of the ship. And uh, he said, sometimes that you go so deep, he said, and that light would go off. And he says, you've not been in darkness till you've been in the water. You know, you're whatever. And no light feeling for a dead body. And he said, you kept telling yourself a dead person can't hurt you. A dead person can't hurt you. A dead person. You talk about darkness. And yet with Exodus, the Bible says God performed a great miracle. In that Israel had light in their dwelling. As dark as it was, the Bible says that not a dog moved its tongue in Egypt. It was so dark from that plague. All the while there was light in the dwellings of God's people. History is going to repeat itself. The same thing is going to happen again. This is a supernatural darkness. Verse 11, they're blaspheming the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Verse 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up in the way that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, you can look on a map and see the Euphrates River. It still exists. That river is so ancient it goes back to the book of Genesis. It's connected with the Garden of Eden. That river Euphrates, earlier it tells us that there is angels in the Euphrates River that are set for a set day, a month, a, a, a year, and an hour to dry up that, the, the Euphrates River. This is going to lead a path for all the armies. The kings of the east are coming to make their battle against God. They're going to make their battle against the people of God, Israel. So the river Euphrates is going to be dried up in verse number 12. In Revelation 9, verse 13 through 16. The indication here tonight is that this will be an army, the kings of the east, that could easily... 200 million says kings of the east you always we're not the center of god's world but i'm thankful to be an american tonight aren't you but we're not the center of god's prophetic word israel is it's east of jerusalem and that means in the bible the east the kings of the east those that came to uh to jesus when he was born the wise man that came from the east those kings could be China. China right now does not have a great relationship with the world. They're a very uh, uh, odd nation. They don't allow a lot of outside interference. They're kind of like North Korea. Uh, they're, uh, they have, uh, their leader's a dictator, basically. And their people are not allowed to freely worship and freely express their political opinions. You, you know, I could say something ugly about Trump tonight or Biden tonight. More likely about Biden, by the way. But uh, I could say that tonight. And uh, some of y'all would like me. Some of y'all get mad at me. And that would be about it. But if you said something against someone in politics in China, you're either going to a prison camp or it's execution. And yet, if you watch the news, China is aligning itself, not with the Western Hemisphere in the Western world, but is aligning itself with some other. Some of them is Iran. Some of these Middle Eastern countries are starting an alliance right now with China. They're practicing war games. I'll tell you the Russia and China are like this. They're practicing a lot of their military games and everything together. And they're trying to form their own alliance, which to me is a signal and a sign of the coming of that ten nation federated kingdom. Where they're going to separate themselves from the western world. This could be China. This could be India. This could be Russia. This could be old Persia. But the kings of the east are going to come out the battle is approaching that's what these scriptures are leading up to the path for them to make their journey into the valley uh, uh, of Jehoshaphat is getting ready with dying up of the Euphrates River now with the little time I've got left I want you to look in verse 13 and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet for they are the spirits of devils, 
working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle to the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Verse 12 tells us the river's going to dry up to help prepare the journey. So geographically, it's going to make more sense for the kings of the east to come that way. Well, the Euphrates River, the size of it and all of that, it'll make more sense for them to be able to make their path directly. In the time they need to get battle they'll be able to cross that river and get directly in there because they're getting ready to go fight at the great battle that's what verse 14 is the great day of god almighty the world thinks they're going to have a chance against god there are three unclean spirits and it's interesting he compares them to frogs now there's nothing really wrong with frogs in and of themselves. After all, I like Kermit, don't you? Y'all didn't laugh. You don't like Kermit the Frog? What is wrong with people if you don't like Kermit the Frog? There's nothing wrong with frogs, really. Uh, the girls like to go out and catch frogs. They're all the time out there catching frogs. I made them little bug catcher boxes, and I'll put them in there and you know keep them overnight, and let them go the next day or something like that. There's a couple of big old bullfrogs. If you get hungry enough, they're in the ditch right there at the parsonage. Uh, I'll see them checking the mail. They put their head out of the water. So if y'all want to go, is good eating. I don't know if you've ever had any. Uh, see, I got an amen. Praise the Lord. Y'all know what's good. There's nothing really evil about frogs in and of itself, but that's the comparison. That's the imagery. He doesn't say they are frogs. He said they're like frogs. So they look like frogs. These are demonic spirits. Demonic spirits have the resemblance of earthly things, but they're not all necessarily earthly. Uh, if you really want to know what a lot of demons look like, it's insects. They're insects, and, and hey, half of them, uh, they, they are demonic. I mean, what in the world purpose do they serve? But the frogs are going to come out, and God compares three of them. He said there's three frogs that's going to come out, and he said that they're going to come out, and they represent the satanic trinity. We read about the dragon. And then we read about the beast. And then we read about the false prophet. And in those, uh, in that satanic trinity is a type and a picture of the holy trinity, but this is the unholy trinity. Verse 13 again, they're like frogs that come out of the mouth of the dragon. So they're coming out of the dragon's mouth but you have one here and he says not just out of the dragon's mouth he said and out of the mouth of the beast and of the false prophet so each one of these are playing a role in the tribulation the dragon of course is satan there's no mistaking who he is the beast is connected uh, and the false prophet with the ministry of the antichrist now, the Bible doesn't use the term Antichrist in Revelation. You get that uh, in 1 John. Uh, but the idea is certainly there. This, this is the one that's causing the worship and causing the mark of the beast and all that's involved. And so in verse 15, Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming. And he said, those that are there in the tribulation need to be ready. I'm getting ready to come. I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. And that keepeth his garments, those are, those are compared to spiritual garments, the robe of righteousness, the garment of naked. There's the insinuation that there's many going to be ashamed at the coming of Jesus instead of without shame at his coming. But in verse 14, it says, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles. This trinity is the most satanic, wicked creatures, existence in the universe, and yet they're able to deceive, they're able to show signs, they're able to show lying wonders, they're able to work miracles, and it says they're going to work miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth. So maybe, and I, I don't know for sure, but maybe it's all the, the, the boils and the pain and all are going to be relieved by the satanic trinity, which will give them 
the help that they need to go out to fight the battle that they think that they have a chance of winning. Verse 16, the infamous, the notorious battle of Armageddon. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon, Megiddo. Armageddon, or the valley of Megiddo, uh, is there in, in, uh, around Israel. You can see pictures of it online. And uh, my parents were there, I believe it was uh, last year. And uh, they went and took pictures there. And you stand up and uh, up on the cliffside and you can see way down into the valley. And you can see up on the other side. And, and they, uh, there's been military generals that have said that there's no better fighting ground on earth than the, battle, than the valley of Megiddo where Armageddon will be fought. That it's the most perfect layout for any battle to be fought. Where it is going to be fought, it is coming. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the city of the nations fell. And great Babylon came into, re into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and there fell upon men great hell out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And the men and men blasphemed God because of the exceeding great. Verse number 15 speaks, uh, if you really want to know more about that, go back. We won't do it tonight, but look up Matthew chapter 24, about verse 29 through verse 50. It goes right along with verse 15. Matthew 24, verse 29 through verse 50. Um, in verse 16, the battle of Armageddon, uh, again, that, we won't turn there for time's sake tonight. It's all through the Old Testament as well. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 11. If you want to look that up. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 11. The book of Joel, we talked about Joel has uh, just a short little book, but has so much about these things. Uh, Joel chapter 3 and verse 11 through verse 16. These passages will deal with the events that we're reading about here at the end of chapter 16. Verse 17 and 18, for that we're talking about a great, the air is going to be affected. We've already had the water affected. Now we're going to have the air affected. Number 18, there were voices and thunders and earthquake and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. The, the effects of it will be the islands will flee. That means Hawaii. That means the Aleutian Islands around Alaska. That means, uh, uh, that could mean places like Japan. Many of these island nations uh, will be gone. Now, the Bible has something to say about these earthquakes. It says there'll be earthquakes in diverse places. But come, if you would, to the book of Isaiah again in chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24. And I know we're just about done in time, so I don't want to keep you much longer. But let me show you something here. Isaiah chapter 24, verse number 1. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty. That's what's coming. And maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. Now, think about that thought tonight. Imagine if God takes the earth and shakes it. And almost like a globe or something, he turns it upside down. You know, the Bible says that the earth's going to reel to and fro like a drunkard. That the elements are going to melt with the fervent heat. That the axes are going to be shaken out of its, uh, its axes, its socket. God's getting ready to do that. In verse 2, and it shall be as with the people, so with the priests, so with the servants, so with his master. I mean, it goes down to every walk of life it's going to affect. Verse 3, the land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth, verse 4, that's Romans 8, and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The haughty, that's the arrogance, that's the one that... Think, well, I'm in, a, in my castle. I'm in my mansion. I, I'm, I'm protected. No, you're not. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinances, broken the everlasting covenant. 
Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned. That's Revelation 16, and few men left. The new wine mourneth, the vine languisheth, all the merry-hearted do sigh, the mirth. That's being happy and, and excited and joyful and of tabret ceaseth. The noise of them that rejoice endeth, the joy of the heart ceaseth. There's not going to be any concerts, there's not going to be, uh, you know, being excited about things are going to be mourning. They shall not drink wine with the strong with the song. Strong drink shall be bitter to them that drink it. The city of confusion. Every house is shut up that had no, that had no man may come in. There is a crying for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. It goes on and on and on. Look in verse number. In the pit and the snare are upon thee, O inhabitant of the earth. And it shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the north of the fear shall fall into the pit. He that gets to the pit shall be taken in the snare. Those from on high are open, and the foundation of the earth break. The earth is utterly broken down, the earth is clean dissolved, the earth is moved exceedingly, the earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth that are upon it. Verse 23, then the moon shall be confounded, the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. That's what Revelation 16 is telling you. God's going to take this earth and shake it. I got a message on that. I'll preach it some other time. The greatest earthquakes this world has ever heard of are yet ahead. Verse 19, 20, and 21 talks about Babylon. Babylon, we'll read about in chapter 17. Don't say anything there. In verse 21, it says that a great hell is part of the plague. And, and again, this great hell, we've read about great hell in Revelation before, but it's another one of the plagues that was brought upon, upon Egypt with fire it devoured the trees and the land the crop and everything the livestock that was out in the field okay it's estimated that these pieces of hell will be about eight pounds a piece now I've seen some pretty big hailstones before I was in a hailstorm one time and uh, not too far from uh, uh, South Carolina and that was probably about one of the worst storms I've ever been in when it comes to hell I've seen hell about the size of, you know, a nickel or quarter or something like that. My dad sat out in Texas when he was a boy. They'd see it the size of baseballs or softballs. That's nothing compared. That, that's a bowling ball. Eight-pound bowling ball size hell, and it's going to absolutely destroy everything that's on it. Let's close with one passage in Joshua. Joshua, Joshua chapter number 10. Joshua chapter number 10. In verse number 8. Joshua chapter 10 and verse number 8. Joshua chapter 10 and verse number 8. says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand. For there shall not a man of them stand before thee. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. The Lord discomfited them. Before Israel slew them with a the great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth Horon and smote them to Azekah and from Makeda. And it came to pass as they fled from before Israel and were in the going down to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Ezekiah and they died. And there were more which died with hellstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, and the people had avenged themselves <clears throat> upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was not no day like that day before it or after it. 
that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The same thing happened with Israel and Joshua is going to happen in Revelation chapter 16. God's getting ready to do something miraculous with the sun. God's getting ready to do something miraculously with the hell. God doesn't need, need tanks. He doesn't need aircraft carriers. He doesn't need nuclear missiles. All he needs is hailstones. He can do a whole lot with that. Hey, I read in the Old Testament where God chased out some of Israel's enemies with hornets. Can you imagine? I've seen some mighty, strong, tough men act like a little child around a hornet. Amen? None of y'all in here, right? I don't think I've seen my dad scared of anything in my life. I've seen him take uh, a snake often and he'll just reach down there, grab it around the back of the head and just put it back out in the woods. He don't think nothing of it. He's probably watching this, so I can't say much, but... Uh, the only time I've ever seen him really scared is around a wasp or hornet. But God uses that. He don't, he don't need missiles. He don't need all that. He can just, just do his destruction with hail. But hey, better than that, the battle of Armageddon, before a, a shot is even fired, God's going to destroy all the enemies with, guess what? The word of his mouth. Hey, if he can say, let there be light and light exist, don't you know God can say, you're done, you're finished, and they're done, they're finished. So uh, they won't even be able to fire a shot, it'll be over. That's pretty much Revelation chapter 16. I know it's not pleasant stuff. I know we don't leave tonight all excited about what we study. But we should be excited about our personal relationship with the Lord. I don't have to worry about all of this stuff. I've got my faith in the Lord that I won't be here when any of this happens. We'll be long gone. I really believe that tonight. Nothing shaking my faith on that. I believe we'll be long gone when this is all said and done. But it also ought to, ought to make us more compassionate to the lost. Because I wouldn't want my worst enemy going through this kind of stuff, would you? All right, we'll get back into our study um, Wednesday night. Not next Sunday night, we'll have our gospel sing, but uh, Wednesday night. We'll be in chapter 17. Very interesting chapter. It, it gives us the location of, uh, of the seat of the beast. It gives us the location of the kingdom of the devil. Uh, and uh, tells us all about it in a very controversial chapter. But again, if we take God at his word, it'll make sense to us. And we can know it for what it is and for what the Bible tells us about prophetically. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you tonight for your word that liveth and abideth forever. Thank you, Lord, for the truths of scripture. Lord, as we read about these things, we read about these vials that are poured out in your judgment upon this earth for their rejection of Jesus Christ and their rejection of the word of God. Lord, I, I, my heart it breaks for those that will be here during this time, during that time. But Lord, help us to reach as many as we can in the time that we have. Lord, we know that you're just. We know that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And the things, Lord, that we think and feel, Lord, are not the way that you think and feel. You're still long-suffering. You're still, still Lord, uh, uh, plenteous in, in, in mercy. And thank you for your tender mercies tonight. But Lord, I pray for those that have rejected you. May you open up their heart to receive the gospel. We pray that you remove the strongholds that's keeping so many from coming to a faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for our congregation tonight, the blessing that they are to me, and most importantly to you. Thank you for our online audience as well. May you meet their needs and bless your people. Thank you for a great day of worship as we've studied and worshiped together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.